0: You're listening to Mind of the Alpha, raw, unedited, and straight from the wolf's
1: mouth. Two books on the vaccine injury compensation program, known as the Vaccine Corp, Uh, working on a third book on the COVID vaccine injuries, plus also what's happening around the world and other countries and how they're going to be dealing with injury compensation hopefully to get that book out by the end of probably around November of this year. Um, I started this journey a little bit differently. One is I'm not an attorney, but I'm actually a parent, a father, a Mm -hmm. husband of two twin boys who are now 25. Um, But they were born a little bit premature, Austin and Nicholas back in October of 1997. And it wasn't until a year later on their 13th month that we had them originally vaccinated. We didn't vaccinate prior to that. Um, And at 13 months, um, both of the boys received the MMR vaccine. Mm -hmm. And Nicholas had a severe reaction to it. Uh, uh, Quite a bit of a severe reaction for about two weeks. We had nothing but. Um, crying, screaming, high temperatures, the vomiting, the diarrhea. Um, His twin brother did not have a reaction to it. Um, Then Nicholas calmed down. And then over the course of the next 18 to 24 months, we started noticing a little bit of a a regression, if you will, where he started to lose his speech, the, the ability to socialize willingness to play with his brother, play with toys appropriately, things like this. Um, And then later, a couple years later, we were able to finally get um, appointment with uh, a pediatric uh, uh, psychiatrist um, in Oklahoma at the time to look at what, what may be happening with Nick. And we received a, the diagnosis that we greatly feared, and that was severe autism. He was no, you know, he lost his ability to speak. Um, he required a lot of care for uh, by us. And that's where it began our journey. But um, we received two pages out of a, a Columbia University textbook on autism and also a prescription for Ritalin. That's what doctors thought of this back in 1998. Mm-hmm. and 99
0: that riddle man that stuff is uh you do you feel like it's over prescribed i mean i very I, um, much so i think so very too. much so i think so too um, i think uh, you know it, it, it the fact of the matter is, is that there's so many people out there that deal with like uh adhd and and you know and things like that um and i think that doctors are really quick to just throw medicine at everything
1: well, they, that's true. You know, Ritalin or is um, um, it Adderall for uh, all these kids in high school? You know, uh-huh. um, yeah. stuff like this for their attention. Um, but from there, I didn't know much. We still didn't know that it was a vaccine injury. It wasn't until um, a couple years later that my wife was looking at and going, "We need to figure out what caused it for for Nicholas." We have all been told through our doctors in Dallas and doctors in Oklahoma that it was, uh, you know, um, Einstein didn't speak to his age five. Mm-hmm. Oh, he'll grow out of this and all this garbage. That wasn't happening. And that's when we started digging into it. my wife was the first to kind of make the connection. Wait a minute. The symptoms that he Portrayed what happened to him after the MMR for the next two weeks is a reaction from the vaccine, and it's called an encephaloscopy, a brain injury. The body reacted. Right. So she started putting things together, connecting the dots, and we figured out he was a vaccine injured. We then pulled all of our medical records together. And we found an attorney. His name is Cliff Shoemaker. Now, Cliff Shoemaker later would represent the Hannah polling case, which is the famous case that broke on CNN back in 2007 and 2008. And CDC Director Julie Gerberding even said, "Yeah, the vaccines could contribute to her autism." You know, and they but they were very reluctant to say that. But going for uh. Um, but Cliff looked at all of our medical records and said, you got a great case here, except for one thing. And that is your statute of limitations. And I said, why? And he goes, what, per- you know, can't we sue for injuries in state court? And he says, no, you can't. you have this there's, federal there's
0: statute of limitation on it?
1: Yes. There's three years, three years from the, uh, first symptom to when you can file, we were three years, nine months. So we were already past it, had no chance in this national vaccine injury compensation program. Well, that got me curious because I've never heard of this program before. I go back and look at the handouts that our doctors gave us. That wasn't listed anywhere on the vaccine in, uh, injury statements or vaccine uh, what they call the VIS statements that are, by law, they're supposed to hand this out to each parent. Vaccine information statement is what it's really called. And I started thinking, what what is this thing? But I was too busy working on trying to figure out how to pay for medical treatments and clinical, you know, therapies and everything for Nick, Right. because most health insurance was discriminating against Autism and other disabilities like this. Um, And so we had to look at reforming insurance coverage for autism, which was a huge battle. We started that back in 2005 in Oklahoma. And there was only two states, well, actually one state that provided coverage. And that was Indiana at the time. But then it was kind of iffy. We started going, go how do I go about looking at autism insurance coverage? Then I find out a group in Southern uh, South Carolina and a group in Texas were starting to move forward. And then it became a big, ugly battle in the state legislatures around the country to move for what they call a mandate. And that is to have uh, private insurance for health insurance. Cover treatments and therapies for autism, and that has really been a big, big battle. Um, today, about forty-seven states have provide some form
0: of insurance coverage as far as state-regulated plans. So, is this like uh, um, a state program, like Medicaid, or or something like no, that? Or are we talking about a, privatized insurance?
1: Private insurance that's regulated by the states. Really? Um, Yeah. A lot of insurance plans cover uh, or are regulated by this each state.
0: That's why they do they put the um, I know you said the National Vaccine Injury Compensation Program. Um, Mm -hmm. You never heard about it until obviously it was too late for you to file a claim. Do they put So they I guess they didn't put that in the pamphlet that comes with the vaccine. Uh, Anything like that at that time?
1: No. But now they they do that now yes okay um and of course it's supposed to be handed out to the people to the parents mm-hmm. or the individual prior to administration but it's so never do you, done that do you way. feel
0: like i mean because i've never even heard of it until you talked about it you know what i mean because mm-hmm. i've never had to deal with anything like that and and let's be honest i'm not i'm you know how many people read the insert for medication not a lot right That's i correct. mean i'm sure you do now because you've experienced some, you know, issues with it. So I'm sure you look into it further, but do you feel like, I I mean, and what I'm feeling like is that they are purposely not telling people about it. Is that statute of limitations still three years?
1: Yes. It's, it's three years for injury.
0: It's still, you only have,
1: Oh yeah. And you only have two years. If you die from the vaccine, your family or a state only has two years to file a claim. if you died from the vaccine and it's three years for injury. When they, when the first symptoms manifest themselves become known either by the parent or by the doctor to when you file, um, you have three years to do so. Uh, Problem is a lot of these vaccines, you might create what they call autoimmune disorders, right? And they might take a lot longer than three years to constantly develop before people will actually file a claim and they're too late. And the, the, the great example here is what happened to a lot, a lot of teenage girls that got the Gardasil vaccine at the ages 11, 12 and 13. What What is the Gardasil vaccine? Gardasil is the human virus. Okay. Uh, and um, what happened was, These girls were getting that vaccine at the ages of 11, 12, 13, and they, you know, when they turn 20, 21, 22, getting out of college, maybe thinking about starting a family, they find out that they're sterile. Really? And it's too late. They're they're automatically, their claims of what they call premature ovarian failure, which normally doesn't happen until the women are in their fifties or things like that. They're now sterile or having severe problems.
0: So, so these, what is the legal these claims liability are being
1: dismissed? Right. There is not. I mean, Merck, the manufacturer of Gardasil has no liability. They're off scot-free. And these families, these girls now have to deal with the fact that they cannot have a, create a family by them, you know, naturally for the rest of their lives. Now, what's the mental anguish of that? That has got to be horrendous. Right. And I know several of these families. I know several of these uh, girls after talking to them. um, You know, it's the mental health of the, the anguish that they're suffering is unbelievable right so statute of limitations is horrendous it's the shortest period of any federal judicial process that we know of in the federal government a lot of states have you know injury claims like if you get injured from a toy or a crib or whatever they might you know you might have until the child reaches the age of 18 or 6 years or 8 years or whatever but this vaccine uh, injury uh, is three years, and it's horrendous.
0: Why, why do you um, think that that is so short, though? I mean, why, why would they only make it three years, do you think? Pharmaceutical industry wanted it that way. When
1: they when they put this program together and were helping write the bill back in 85 and first part of 86, statute of limitations was put in at three years. But they did have an escape clause built in to protect the pet- petitioners at the time. That is, is that after two hundred and forty days, which is eight months, if you did not uh, receive a final decision, or if you want to, you could exit the program and then file a state uh, injury claim in state court. You could do that. However, that right to sue, which is part of the Seventh Amendment, was taken away from us. In the Bruceworth versus Wyeth lab decision of 2011, where the Supreme Court ruled that the exclusive remedy for all vaccine injuries must be the MVICP. So people are stuck. If whether you get injured from a flu shot, an MMR, DBT, Gardasil, whatever, you must go to the MVICP for to seek any re- remedies or compensation that's but covid is is handled a little bit differently
0: so so Well one the covid they don't they they have complete immunity is that correct the well covid companies
1: yeah covid is covered by an entirely different compensation program the covid vaccines and also the countermeasures used to battle the virus such as medical devices uh, mm-hmm. ventilators, etc., cetera, um, other antiviral drugs such as remdesivir and, and things like this. It's handled in what they call the countermeasures injury compensation program, which the, uh, which is uh, originated in 2010. And it's the immunity is covered under the prep act,
0: which right, was passed yeah, in
1: 2005. Right. And the only, Liability uh, that pharmaceuticals or even administrators or what we call covered persons can be sued on is what they call willful misconduct, which is basically it lacks due process. So we believe it's unconstitutional, but no one's been really that successful at challenging that. So the pharmaceutical industry that is, that's created the COVID vaccines, if you will, Mm -hmm. Um, they enjoy, uh, complete legal, um, immunity, if you will, they cannot be sued, um, under the normal process. But if we, I still think within the the next few years, some of the walls will start crumbling down against uh, the willful misconduct piece. And if we get the right judges, To look at this, uh, we might be able to break down the immunity. Uh, But right now, anybody injured from a COVID vaccine must file a petition in the countermeasures injury compensation program. And if you think the MVICP and the vaccine court uh, was horrendous, this is even worse. You only have one year from the date of administration to file. That's the statute of limitations. Is only one year. Well,
0: how, how do we, how do we, um, so, so what, what do they, how do they define the willful misconduct though? I mean, is that, I mean, if I'm, and you got to talk to me like I'm stupid here, you know what I mean? Cause I'm not, you know, obviously not an expert in this area, but, um, when you're talking willful misconduct, is this something that they, they have to prove that the pharmaceutical company, um, did something that was hmm, wrong or or in the development, yeah, they process? they they, what, what exactly they knew it I was do? wrong,
1: and they continued that practice. Okay, we're right. examining the clinical trial process. That's still going to take several years before we can examine and completely figure out what is actually happening. Um, but uh, and you know, willful misconduct is is really this whole program was never designed
0: for a nationwide long-term pandemic. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Cause I mean, we yeah. still, how long did it take them to develop the vaccine? They, they had a couple months to do it. Right. And from what I understood yeah. that Congress passed a um, legislation that they don't even have to release a lot of their, um, lot, you know, their studies and things like that for, I think it was 60 years or something. Well, there was um the, get this, here's, here's how that all
1: played out. Is, is that the EUA Emergency Use Authorization uh, um, Declaration by the Secretary of HHS through what they call the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act allows our country, our nation, and the Secretary of HHS declares that these products, whatever he lists is under the EUA, can be administered with immunity, you know, uh, legal immunity free. So there's no obligation, no um, legal uh, or should say all the legal protections to these manufacturers. So they can administer a vaccine that hasn't been fully licensed or fully approved under EUA declaration. Okay. So you have that out there in August of 2021. The FDA receives the packet of information for what we call the biologic application, BLA version, which is the fully approved process from Pfizer, and 108 days later approves their product, the BLA version. Yet, we still have an EUA version and a fully licensed BLA version they are the same, Manufacturing process, everything's the same, but yet FDA puts in they're legally distinct. Now, go figure that one out. We've got lawyers trying to figure out what in the heck is that that's the case. And yet Pfizer will not distribute the BLA version. They're only distributing, uh, even through today, the EUA version. Okay, so we it's they're playing games here to keep our government is playing games to keep the liability away from Pfizer. Same thing with Moderna. They have their so Pfizer has their product called Comirnaty. I can never pronounce it correctly, so I call it Cinderella. (laughs) And then Moderna has their product called Spikevax. Those products are not being distributed to the general public today. There's still the BLA version. Here's the rub. The CDC, through their ACIP committee, approves the EUA version to be placed on the childhood schedule last fall, late last fall. Created a lot of hubbub about mm-hmm. it. Right. I read about that. And then the C- And then the CDC earlier this year, uh, you know, ACIP is a part of. CDC, and then the CDC director finally signs off on it. But what they've done now is placed an EUA version on the childhood schedule. Now, people are concerned well, is that automatically where then all the states, when they're doing their back to school campaigns, they're going to require that? Not necessarily, um, because we're still under EUA declaration. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is where it gets kind of confusing where the thing is that I'm monitoring and a couple of us are watching this is the secretary of HHS soon will move the BLA version, the fully uh, and move it into the MVICP and um, Congress then will attach a tax or a levy onto that vaccine. And now The fully licensed version will have complete legal immunity, just like they do for flu shots, Gardasil, MMR, and everything like this, just in time for back to school this upcoming fall. That's what I think might happen, or it might take a little bit longer. Now, a lot of people have heard of this PrEP Act. This PrEP Act um, is scheduled to expire next year. When it was announced in Uh, March of 2020, it basically uh, has four years to run its cycle, and then a six-month wind-down. So October of 2024, the PREP Act, unless it's extended by the Secretary of HHS, will sundown, will cease to exist. The problem here is is that there is no oversight to the Secretary of HHS's um, actions. Congress can't do a damn thing. The courts, even all the way up to the Supreme Court, cannot do a thing with this. This Prep Act, when it was passed in 2005, was that dangerous? It basically usurped the Constitution and moved public health and the oversight by Congress and the courts moved it into the White House, and that's exactly what it did now the white house both administrations have had a bad role to play in this and this is where it's at Is is that there's only one person that can stop the prep act and that's the secretary of hhs congress cannot do a thing about this they're they're done no one can do anything you can't you can't pass a law to usurp it mm-hmm. you can't challenge it in the courts This is why the PREP Act is dangerous, but it was passed in 2005 in a group of uh, uh, pieces of legislation known as BioShield 2 that the pharmaceutical lobby helped write. That law, they helped write and passed in
0: 2005. Do you think lobbying should be illegal?
1: No, I don't. I just don't think, uh, I think there should be limits as far as, Because if you and I go up to the Capitol, that's lobbying. Right. That's advocacy. I don't want that banished at all. But when you have the pharmaceutical lobby, which is larger than oil and gas, defense, uh, national security, all these other things combined, pharmaceutical lobby is the largest lobby with the greatest number of dollars. And for every person that goes up there and advocates for safety, you've got at least a thousand lobbyists against that person from the pharmaceutical industry. They've got untold number of people up there at Congress wielding dollars that we can't stop. That needs to have, we need to put some brakes on that, but we still need to allow people to address their issues with Congress.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, um, man, our ph- pharmaceutical companies have so much control in the United States. I, I believe we're one of two countries that allow pharmaceutical companies to still advertise on TV. Um, right. and I know for a fact that like CNN, Fox, um, those, those channels, 75% of their, um, their ads that are ran are pharmaceutical companies running those ads. You know what I mean? And I, th- I just, I don't, I don't agree with that at all, whatsoever. Um, I don't think that we should be advertising any sort of medicines or anything like that on TV. Are you a fan of the Super Bowl? Um, I, I wasn't. Did so you watch the Super Bowl? Did out. you watch football? I watched. I watched the second quarter. That was it.
1: Seventy-seven percent of the ads in the Super Bowl. Hmm. Um. Well, actually, I'll take that back. Um. In the playoffs, not the Super Bowl, because that's different. But the NFL football playoffs, 77% for mm-hmm. pharmaceutical
0: industry. 77%. That's mind blowing, man. I mean, that how do you feel about that? I mean, I I don't I don't think they should be allowed to do that. What you were talking about, which is a great
1: point, is that we're only of two countries. It's called direct to consumer advertising.
0: New Zealand and the United States. Mm-hmm. In New Zealand, I and, think still limited, you know, to a, a, a much less than the United States does. Right, but to per, uh, but it's 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 unbelievable.
1: We don't allow tobacco um, anymore, and we're very limited on um, what you can do with beer as far as age limits and things like this. Mm-hmm. Um, But pharmaceuticals, we run, uh, runs amok. Most people in the Congress receive pharmaceutical money, one form or another. There's just a few that don't. Um, I think now there's also a growing number of Congress uh, elected to Congress members who are actually starting to refuse new members Mm -hmm. that came into office. They're saying, no, we don't want any more of this. And, uh, I think you've seen a, a greater pushback, but it's still such a heavy handed monster. That's up. We're up against. And, um, or, you know, I, I, think there's some great attorneys that are working with this, trying to, um, nibble, trying to figure out where to attack. You can't take them straight on. You're going to get beat up and bloodied and buried out in some desert Nevada, if you take them straight on. So you got to have to pick. Yeah.
0: I mean, They they have unlimited (laughs) amounts of money. And and I don't know of anybody uh, that has the money to match that or or to fight that, you know, and and they don't, the the two, the the thing is, is then you have the, on the other side, you have the insurance companies that are controlling what doctors can and can't do for their patients. Well, you know what they can Mm -hmm. and can't prescribe. And it's, it's ridiculous to me. I mean, if you look back in the, I think it was in the 70s, the Sackler families were responsible for creating the opioid epidemic, you know, that we're currently going through. And they knowingly do these things and they lobby Congress and they, they donate these funds to these different congressmen and women. And it, it's just, it's mind-blowing to me that our country allows these things to happen.
1: Well, wasn't, um, and... I, I got to know Donnie, uh, Danny Strong, mm-hmm. who was the producer and director for the um, series Dope Sick that starred Michael Keaton about the opioid epidemic okay. in Kentucky and West Virginia. Uh-huh. And it was about the Purdue pharmaceutical industry. And I talked to him quite a bit uh, one time about the accuracy of these movies. And he said, it's 100% spot on. We couldn't show everything. If mm-hmm. anything, it wasn't it wasn't quite as strong as what's actually happening, right? In the opioid industry, and you're right. This pharmaceutical industry is out of control. Far, you know, Purdue Pharmaceuticals are directly responsible for killing thousands of individuals. For um, and um, it's it's I don't you know it, it, we run amok. There's a there's an attorney. Her name is. Um, Charlotte Bismuth okay she was assistant uh, district attorney out uh, in new york um i believe manhattan office she won the first legal battle wrongful death against a doctor that was selling opioid prescriptions for cash on saturdays in new york city and she took 4 years to take him to court and she won the battle and she wrote a book called bad medicine came out a couple of years ago
0: yeah a very I think good heard read. Of it i haven't read it yet though
1: yeah and it's basically a journal a diary of what it took to get the case to court and to win mm-hmm. and um it's a wonder, wonderful book and she's a wonderful author but and an attorney now she's taking a step back. She does. She lives up, uh, up in new England now with her family. And, uh, but it really tells you what it took to go after the doctors that are writing the prescriptions. And then you have that movie dope sick talking about the pharmaceutical industry and what they do to incentivize the sales from the sales reps to the doctors, (coughs) excuse me. And then you got the actual industry itself. They just keep producing more and more because it's just millions and millions of dollars in revenue.
0: Well, the the Whether crazy part about that, Wayne, is back back when they first invented like oxycotton and um and some of those other opioids, they knew how addictive it was. Okay. And they paid off scientists to say, Hey, it's not addictive. And they went to doctors and they could go to doctors. And they can incentivize them to prescribe their medication they're not allowed to do that now it's illegal um, but what they would do is they would incentivize these doctors and the doctors were saying hey you know my patients are saying that are getting addicted to these things and they're saying no they're not addicted to them what it is is they're suffering through breakthrough pain so you need to prescribe more in a higher dose okay right no so, one then it was killing these people and now what are we looking at now now we have a fentanyl epidemic you know, and different things like that. It's just.
1: I well, mean, it's it's kind of like it's kind of like the vaccine issue. Mm-hmm. You heard the, the slogan safe and effective. Right. Nothing has actually been safe and effective. Right. It's a marketing slogan. Even the traditional vaccines, MMR, the um, DP, uh, the DTAP. Um, even the flu shot, even all these others have not been safely tested against a a sterile placebo. They'll say, oh, it's been, we've been testing against placebos. Well, what they use is another watered down vaccine as the placebo. Really? I I wasn't Um, aware of that. oh, Oh, yeah. A lot of the Gardasil trials, they used the meningitis vaccine as the placebo.
0: How does that well, work? People, I mean, how can they? How can they even? I they do their own clinical trials. The FDA,
1: the FDA doesn't. FDA doesn't provide any oversight. They don't review any of that. They take the pharmaceuticals' word when they submit the documents, saying mm-hmm. this placebo trial, we had a less than one percent increase in severe reactions, so we find that acceptable.
0: Well, the, the crazy well, what they part don't about tell that. You,
1: go ahead well what they don't tell you is both of them against a sterile placebo would be you know seven to eight to ten percent increase in sphere reactions
0: mm-hmm.
1: <coughs> so the fda doesn't care
0: from, they look at what i understand they can do their own they do their own you know blind studies on these and from what i've read and, and correct me if i'm wrong Wayne, but um Like Pfizer, for instance, they'll do ten studies on one vaccine, and then the best one is the only one that they'll release. Right? That's correct. They 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 release just the information that they want you
1: to release. That's why it's important. Right. When we went when when attorneys were able to take Merck to uh, to court under the Vioxx disaster that killed thousands in the United States. Yeah. The discovery showed us, in the discovery, releasing all the documents, it showed us what Merck was hiding. Plus, also what Merck was doing by creating these hit lists against doctors who uh, spoke out against them. You know, they then they would have public relations firms go out and and try to uh, put them. a lot of pressure on these doctors and de- uh, destroy mm-hmm. their reputations and things like this. Same thing is happening with Merck with Gardasil. They're in court now. <clears throat> the law firms are suing Merck on fraud. And they're going through the discovery now and looking at documents and seeing how Merck used outside agencies to do a lot of their clinical trials. And then they whitewash those things. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, it, it's the, what we need to do, and I think Bobby Kennedy Jr. said it correctly, we need to get rid of the FDA and the CDC and start over and keep them independent of our government. Because as long as they're controlled, the FDA and CDCs uh, as part of HHS, which is part of the executive, it becomes policy decisions instead of based on what we call true science.
0: But I, but I think one of the things that's stopping that and you just said a little bit ago is how many of these Congress people take um, take donations and, and, and campaign donations uh, from these pharmaceutical companies. And I mean, that's one of the reasons why I believe there should be term limits in Congress as well. I mean, you have somebody like Nancy Pelosi who's been in Congress for, what, 60 years or something like that. Um, it's crazy. They should not be allowed to be in there that long, you know. Well, I think, um,
1: I think it wasn't Nikki Haley when she announced her, her campaign, she said she wanted to put a age limit. Oh yeah. Of, yeah. Um, or cognitive test, whatever. That's one part. Um, you know, you can, you can do term limits, but the problem you got there is, is that it might take you quite a bit of time to move up the sonority chain within your party or within that committee to where you can actually do something. Um, someone who's been there maybe six years or eight years in the House still might not have enough sway in a committee to to call the hearing because the hearing's really basically by the chairman or the ranking minority member.
0: Do you think that's because uh, of the current situation of the system where there's so many people that have been in there for so long? So if we, if we limit all oh, yeah, of that, it could be, it could, you know be. what I mean? Very if we much limit so. all of them and we get, we take, so, I mean, I hate to say it, man, but if you take the, the old and move it in with the new, maybe we can redevelop that system. But I, I mean, I definitely see where you're coming from um, because of yeah, the way, it, you know, you do have to give these general. people a chance, right. You
1: Just can't say that, you know, you're in for six years and then you got to go home. They aren't going to be able to do anything. Right. Yeah.
0: I Um, mean, maybe, maybe like you got to give them some leeway or even, even I would be okay with even having a 20 year term limit. Something like that would be fair. You know, Um, you should not be in there. I mean, look at, look at Pelosi. I mean, she, her and uh, Paul Pelosi are the two most successful stock traders in the United in the world. Why is that?
1: Oh, it's just pure coincidence, right? Don't right.
0: you know that? They're just really
1: good at it. You know, it's really <laughs> good. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. But anyway, but uh, getting back to the, the vaccine issue mm-hmm. and that is, is that we've got a lot of people who file petitions in the countermeasures that are injured from the COVID vaccine or the COVID countermeasures. And unfortunately, most of them are never going to see the light of day. They're not going to receive any compensation. And that's, that program is really not, I, sh- I shouldn't call it a compensation program, but that's the title. It's more of a medical expense reimbursement because in the CICP, you're not awarded pain and suffering or any other types of damages, a very low lost wages cap of $50,000. Mm-hmm. So basically, so 50, basically it's medical expenses, 50000 for lost wages. Someone making 200,000 and gets hurt by the COVID jab. (coughs) All they're going to cover is 50,000 for that year. It's insane. Um, And medical expenses. So a person who gets severely injured, breadwinner of a family, has a mortgage, and now he cannot provide for his family. Because that mortgage is going to have to be paid by someone else because Mm -hmm. he can't work. You have medical expenses. And if you're lucky to have doctors that are willing to say that it is the COVID vaccine that caused the injury, you might get reimbursement of expenses not covered by your private insurance. By the way, sooner or later, you're not going to be working. Therefore, you're not going to have private health insurance you're going to have to go on Medicaid and Medicare or social security disability long-term mm-hmm. taxpayers are going to be ending up having to pay for this mess. And I tried, you know, I went to college down in Texas. Um, I majored in Budweiser and golf, but
0: basically it was economics. <laughs> was my study. Me, me too, man. Uh huh. And, um, not golf. I wasn't a much of a golfer, but, but, uh, uh-huh. I was good at drinking Budweiser.
1: Yeah. Um, <laughs> But I went there on a, a golf scholarship. So um economics was my field of interest.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I studied this thing. Then um a few years ago, I was out there preaching to the world as best I could the dangers of this PrEP act back in 2018 and 2019. And everybody's going, Why are you kind of this we don't have a problem with it? I said, We will. Because I noticed executive orders were assigned by the Bush administration and by Obama and for quarantine purposes and things like this. And I said, they're gearing up for something. Sure enough, when COVID came out, people started looking into the PREP Act and going, what the heck do we have here? Now you have all these people who have been injured. We don't know the extent of everyone, but I started putting some math together last fall and I started creating um, summation formulas and everything else trying to figure out what's the cost. Mm -hmm. I think the true cost to our economy is somewhere north of two and a half to almost three trillion dollars to clean up just the injuries from the covid vaccine
0: but what What about I these think, these doctors are telling us that they're they're the the problem is is they're telling us there's no injuries to the covid vaccine that they've shown that are proven
1: medical doctors most medical doctors were trained they have never received any training in medical school right what an
0: injury is but even and if even it doesn't government it, is telling us this you know what i mean so like if, right. if you but go it's just, to what is that database they have, there's a database that they have. Well, you have the VARES database. The VARES uh, database. Yeah. So there's, vaccine there's
1: adverse re, uh, event reporting reactions. system. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what, what about, I mean, because if you look on there, there's not a whole lot of injuries, if you will, on there. For because well, actually, I, would,
1: I, I beg to disagree. The VERS
0: database, if you look at it, Uh Uh, now uh, to be fair, I haven't. I'll be honest with you, I haven't done a whole lot of research into that. I'm just mm -hmm. going by you know, you know, some of the articles and things like that that I've read. So correct me if I'm wrong. Well, the VERS database
1: has always been a punching bag Mm -hmm. for people saying, "Oh, it's been uh, it's a voluntary system, so the accuracy of the data." Has been suspect. Well, we do know the underreporting prior to COVID. This is that one out of a hundred, maybe one out of um, uh, seventy, uh, actually events are actually were reported. So mm-hmm. there's an underreporting element to the system. COVID comes along, all of a sudden the numbers just start skyrocketing number of deaths, number of severe injuries, uh, everything just skyrockets. Now the number of deaths in the first year of COVID vaccine 2021, Mm -hmm. the number of deaths in the the VAR system was five times greater than the number of deaths reported for the previous 30 years of VAERS. I mean, just jumped due to the the vaccine, due to the COVID vaccine. That's correct. What's interesting when you you look at the reports, you go into the individual reports, Mm -hmm. they're written by clinicians, doctors, nurses, right? These are not family members reporting. These are doctors and nurses trained. Really? So we know the legitimacy of these reports is high, very high. The credibility is very high. Um, it's just, so we have these numbers and we still have an under reporting. Now there's a couple of people that have looked at this, like Dr. Jessica Rose is someone who is a friend of mine and she's looked at this. She still thinks that the factor, maybe under reporting of 30 or 40 we just don't know because not everybody knows this and we do know that a lot of doctors and nurses refuse refuse to help with a vares report um so you know we it's we we don't know really but then you hear fda officials say oh correlation doesn't cause cause doesn't equal causation no it doesn't i agree there but what you should be doing is that this is supposed to be tracking and creating signals. If there's a signal, meaning a spike, you're supposed to be investigating that. And this is where the CDC refuses to investigate the deaths. They're investigating all the severe injuries. Mm-hmm. So they make the claim, oh, no one's died from the vaccine or no one's getting seriously injured. Well, if you don't look if you're not going to look for the problem, chances are you don't know there is a problem.
0: You know, what's, so you, what's up uh, with the MR, M, mRNA vaccine, I've heard of the, some really bad, bad stories about that. Well, uh, that technology, which is both, yeah, is both Moderna
1: and also uh, Pfizer. Mm-hmm. Johnson Johnson has a little bit different technology, it's a different way of, of, trying to create uh, uh, the body to create an immune response. The problem is, is that it's so brand new. They're testing as they say, Oh, it's been, it's been tested for several years. What it was is computer simulation tested. It was never tested. In human trial uh, on on humans for more than, you know, well now we're still in the testing phase. Um, and you know, so it's what two years. Traditional vaccines take seven to ten years to do clinical testing trials in ways to te- what they call tease out long term chronic ill or chronic illness, such as does it create arthritis several years later? Mm-hmm. Does it create autoimmune disorders down the road? Does it create problems with fertility? <clears throat> Things like that. They cannot be identified in six months. These take years. But when Pfizer was doing their trials, they unblighted their studies, meaning you have a placebo group that supposedly didn't get this technology, this vaccine. They were then given the vaccine. So we don't have a true placebo group to measure against down the road. It's mm-hmm. called Unblinding, a study. And they did it purposely because they sold the bill of goods along with our media saying that the COVID virus is going to kill everyone.
0: But yeah, and, we fact, all, and it, it, it's it, come out that it's been inflated at least 30% of deaths. You know what I mean? Well,
1: it's just ninety-nine yeah. over 99% of
0: the people that got COVID did not die. Right, right. But they're, they're okay. saying that even because, I mean, if you look back, they were hospitals were being incentivized to put people on ventilators. They would be incentivized to to call it a COVID death, and even so, even if you had someone with um, you know cancer, terminal cancer, and they died with COVID, they were considered to be a COVID death. Oh come on! Well, yeah. You see, so you have you have reporting
1: uh, irregularities. You have all sorts of problems here. Mm-hmm. But the the thing is, is that these uh, mRNA type vaccines. Now that they have been approved through, you know, the FDA process, Pharma wants to use it for all their future vaccine development. Instead of doing the traditional va- development for MMR and DPT and flu, mm-hmm. they're going to they're going to use the same technology and bypass clinical trials, bypass animal testing, bypass long term clinical uh, tests. To get any vaccine out in less than a year or two years, so the human population is now the testing ground <clears throat> with no with no clinical <clears throat> controls.
0: If you will. from what I've read about the mRNA vaccine is um, okay. So let me let me just say this: um, there's been stories put out that. It changes the way your immune system works, okay, and it can actually make it so that you don't have. It suppresses your immune system, so it, it doesn't have a reaction. Um, and which is scary to me, if that's true, because if you think about it, if 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 COVID, the way that it's rapidly changing, okay, um, if nature finds out, you know, eventually it's gonna it's gonna shift into something that we can't. That that our body doesn't fight off at all, right? You see what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So if it changes your immune response and suppresses the immune system, COVID, the COVID, their COVID's um, biological structure is gonna is gonna adapt to that eventually and be able to suppress your immune system even further. So what what does that mean for us in the future? That means even more dangerous viruses and things like that. If it's well, if that, if that, I, I if
1: that's, that, that's a, it's a good possibility, or there, it is a possibility that could happen. Now, some, some of the greatest, uh, virologists in the world opposed this mRNA vaccine during the worldwide pandemic outbreak. They, mm-hmm. they often said, you never vaccinate against the virus during an outbreak. You're going to vaccinate, you do it prior to the outbreak or after the outbreak. When you when you do it, Gert van der Bosch from Belgium, one of the leading virologists in the world, I had a conversation with him back in April of last year. And his biggest concern was, he made that statement, and his biggest concern was, this is that the Variants that are going to develop are the result of the vaccination campaigns. Because if you don't vaccinate, the person who is unvaccinated gets COVID and recovers and isolates themselves, there should not be any transmission. So, therefore, it kind of dies with that person as that person develops natural immunity. But when you have a vaccinated person, that virus kind of bounces off and then goes somewhere else. Well, what's happening is is that's what's created this rapid development of all these variants, and I truly believe that's what's caused a lot. Because if you look at you look at uh, what they call excess deaths. In nations, countries around the world, in the United States, look in Germany, look in Australia, most of the large increases in what they call excess deaths, meaning what's your death rate in that, in that country, is relatively flat each year. Mm-hmm. It might grow up or down just a little bit, depending on the populations and stuff like this. But when you have a jump of 30% or 40% increase in what they call excess deaths, something happens. But it's when it happens in a very vaccinated population where 75% or 85% of the population is vaccinated, why did it have excess deaths? It has to be that the vaccinated have turned into what they call magnets and are drawing in the virus. And as you said, the virus keeps mutating and changing and it's becoming more virulent and it's creating more problems down the road for those who have been vaccinated. So that's why you see this campaign. Get your vaccine. Get your boosters. Now we got to get the next set of boosters. Boom, boom, boom. You know, you're an anti-vaxxer, according to the FDA and the CDC, if you haven't got your five.
0: Yeah, right you're now. crazy or you're a, uh, you know, um, nut, nut right wing nut job. You know what I mean? And, if you and- haven't
1: got all five, you're an anti-vaxxer.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, and I'll be I'll be completely transparent with you, Wayne. I have gotten two of the vaccines. Um, now, I had okay, so I had a heart attack about four years ago, so it kind of scared me a little bit in the beginning. But since now it's scaring me even more. The more and more I read about these vaccines and what they're doing to people and what they can do to people, now I'm just completely regretting that I even got the. You know, and I, I I promise you, I will never get. Another COVID vaccine for as long as I live. It's just, it's, it's. You know, it's not. It, it, I don't know, man. It's just there's too much stuff coming out about COVID and about our government and about these pharmaceutical companies and insurance companies. And you know, it. I. You just can't trust them anymore. You. You literally. If any. If COVID has showed us anything over the past three years, you can't trust our government. And that's the way that I look at. it.
1: Well, that's, it's true. And then, you know what, what was interesting also, if you look at the rate of cancers and everything for, you know, pre-COVID, look at the rate of flu and pneumonia.
0: I was just getting ready to talk about that.
1: Um, (laughs) and that dropped like to next to nothing in 2021, in 2021, those rates of flu didn't, didn't exist most people basically got a severe case of flu or pneumonia and, and died um, when they now, call, it COVID. call it COVID or whatever. And that's, that's sad because people are passing away, but that's the nature of our community
0: system or ecosystem.
1: Yeah. It, it's just the way it is. Um, hopefully, a lot of people have learned that they need to concentrate on themselves getting healthy and eating better, sleeping better, losing the weight to get away from, you know, the, uh, um, you know, obesity seems to be a, a common element. You of see a me lot of people. and I'm dealing with it. <laughs> well, but you know, get out and walk a little bit more, drop a few pounds. I've got to, I'm doing the same thing. Right.
0: Um, yeah, and I had a, I had a cardiologist on, um, about a month ago and him and I got into a conversation about the, um, I said, well, cause he's a, he's, he's one of those guys that took like seven booster shots. You know what I mean? He's had every mm-hmm. COVID vaccine takes one month a month. It seems like, and no, no disrespect to Dr. Bolette, he's a great guy. He was, it was fun to talk with. Um, but we talked about the, I said, well, why is it that the flu? Um, it dramatically it dropped so dramatically when COVID came, around. and he said because people are wearing masks. And I said, well, I don't, I don't believe that to be, you know, true. I mean, it, as far as the, uh, I think that doctors were diagnosing it as COVID instead of the flu, just like you just said. Excuse me. Hmm. So he I said, just- well, he said, well, my um, he said my allergies even went down because of because we are wearing masks. And I said, why? I, I can see why, because the mask is going to, you know, obviously uh, pollen and dust particles are larger than the COVID molecule or the fuel molecule. So it's going to catch those on the outside of your mask, and you're not going to be inhaling as much. So, yeah, of course, you're, you know, the the, the rhinovirus or whatever it is, um, mm-hmm. you're going to have decrease in, decreases in people's out allergic reactions. But you're not going to have decreases in in the flu virus because of that mask. I'm sorry, it's it's not the mask that we were wearing. They do nothing to protect you against COVID or the flu virus. Right.
1: It's, it's, well, it's, you, it's, you can obtain the virus through your eyes and through your ears too, right. or um you know so.
0: Well, they're the nose and mouth. You, how many people did you see that weren't even wearing those masks properly? You know, they were wearing them oh, yeah. down underneath their nose, anything like that. So I, right. I just it's... don't buy the BS that they're telling us that, you know, the math or what, what stopped that. What it is is that they try to inflate the numbers of COVID and they try to mm-hmm. make it look like, and, and don't get me wrong, COVID is, it, it can be a very serious um, disease, you know. It's it's definitely something unlike we've we faced before, but it's not as deadly as they try to make it out to be. And I think that a lot of studies are coming out now that, that proved that to be the case. Well, you're,
1: you're true. It's just when you look at, when you look at the mort- uh, mortality rate of COVID and you don't adjust for the shenanigans on the um, death certificates, you just look at it. You know, if you're above the age of 75, it's right there. And it's in, right in the same numbers as if, if we had a severe flu season. Um, right, right. You would expect the same number. <clears throat> so it goes back to, you know, public health officials. First thing we need to do is we need to get public health out of medicine. Because public health people, all they are is they're looking for the greater good. They're looking for the 70% number. They don't care about the other 30%. And then looking at it from a statistical point of view, that well, the greater good, you know, everybody should get the vaccines because it's the greater good. We don't care about the 30% that have reactions to it. Mm -hmm. We need to get doctors to practice medicine again. You get the insurance companies out of it, you get uh, public health officials out of it, and you get the media to stop buying into and becoming. Uh, the cheerleaders for pharmaceutical news. You know, uh, here in Minnesota, I have, I have constantly have big battles here with Dr. Michael Osterholm, an mm-hmm. epidemiologist at the University of Minnesota, who's on damn near every cable TV show all the time, yeah, talking. Um, And he is stated, no one has died from the COVID vaccine. I said, you got to be kidding me. He says, well, show me where the CDC is confirmed. I said, doctor, everybody knows that CDC is not interested in investigating any of the problems. So you're just, you know, even though what you're saying is supported by whatever the CDC says, but it's, you know, uh, it's not credible. And, you know, you just, you've got to look at these problems. and then you have the media, whether it's local or national. You don't have journalism anymore. You have stenographers for public health officials.
0: Journalism, whatever. When, when they started doing 24 hour, you know, rotating news, if you will. You know, but see, see, anytime you CNN put money, with that death certificate, that death count, that was horrible. CNN, let's be honest, Wayne. CNN, since Trump left office, they've dropped 33% of their viewership if they lost the pharmaceutical companies from but you know advertising on there and the ad spend they would go under the CNN would be no oh, yeah. they wouldn't have the budget the money nothing to keep going so it, i i just I, and even fox news is getting to the point where they're the same way you know what i mean they're 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 i don't know if you've heard about um did you hear about that train derailment here in in ohio east palestine oh yeah yeah so for a long for a a week and a half news. They weren't even allowing news outlets to cover it and, and talk about it. And, um, it's and what, it, from my, cause I had a lady on that lives up there, um, the other day and I was doing some research into it. And one of the largest supporters of Fox news and CNN is North is the company that owns North Fork Southern. Who's responsible for that train wreck.
1: Oh, the railroad. You know, okay. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, it, it goes back to that. I mean, there's too much, anytime you put revenue or money into something like this, especially in the public health, it's not going to be good mm-hmm. for the public. Period.
1: Oh yeah, I agree. It just, yeah. um, I don't, you know, this, this thing that happened in uh, East Palestine, Ohio. Um, we're going to be facing the cleanup for the next 10 to 20 years because, that watershed drains into it to the Ohio River Valley, which comes down in and eventually makes its way through the Tennessee River Valley to the <laughs> Mississippi. To
0: yeah. They shut off. Um, the. I live about 20 minutes from Cincinnati, Ohio, and our water comes from the Ohio River. Um, they inducted and intake it in, and they closed off all our intake for water because there's a plume of chemicals coming down right now um, through where I live. It's, mm-hmm. it's crazy. The 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 EPA hasn't been there. The, Biden will not allow the EPA to go, or I'm sorry, Mike DeWine will not, who's the governor of Ohio, will not allow the EPA to investigate or help out because they're, let, they're making Norfolk Southern take the blame for it. Number one, they will not call FEMA in to help these people. This girl that I interviewed the other day, she's literally been living in a hotel and they will not pay for that hotel. They're giving them a thousand dollar inconvenience check. Inconvenience check. Now you tell me that that company doesn't have something up their sleeve, so where if you take that thousand dollar check, they're not. You can't sue them. You can't have any sort of litigation. To, you know, in future years, any sort of lawsuit. It's crazy, man. And 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 the fact of the matter is, and if you look at Mike Dewine, and hopefully he hears this somehow. But Mike Dewine, I know for a fact that you take your biggest campaign contributors were from Norfolk Southern. So come on, man. Crazy. It's the same thing, man. Um, it's not just the pharmaceutical and insurance, it's all it's industry, period. And we, you know, we're we as the little people have no say so in it.
1: You familiar with that movie called Dark Waters? Mm. There I was believe, um
0: I've heard of it. I don't think I've seen it.
1: Um still going on litigation is still going on case by case attorney out of Cincinnati. His name is Robert mm-hmm. Um, He used to be a corporate chemical attorney and he switched sides and sued DuPont because of uh, chemical that were being washed off in the chemical plant uh, just outside That's of Cincinnati right? in West
0: Virginia. Yeah, it was West Virginia. Yeah, so I have seen Dark Waters. I know what you're talking about. Yeah,
1: it was the um, chemical
0: they used to make Teflon, right? Right. Yeah. This is the same things.
1: Um, what's happened up in Ohio? That the um, this time it's going to be a railroad company that's going to be insulated from liability. They're going to do whatever they can to prevent that. Um. But all the pollution that's going to go downriver, it's going to cause cancers and other long-term uh, health res- uh, issues for everyone downstream or downwind of these toxic blooms, or you know, in the water itself. It's going to kill off livestock. It's going to this is going to be all the way down through the Mississippi. Well, we're talking and sooner or later, it's going to get to New Orleans and right. down into the Gulf. Mm-hmm. And we're gonna wipe out seafood down there. It's this is a mess.
0: It 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 very may well be Chernobyl size event eventually, as far as damage. Sure, if you sure. if you think about it, there's a lot of um, Ohio, I don't know if you've ever been to Ohio, Wayne or Kentucky, um, but we have a lot of farming in this area. And a lot of
1: Columbus and and Cleveland have been the only two uh, cities I've been to in a while. Okay.
0: So there's a lot of farming out here and we supply Kentucky, Ohio and Indiana supply a lot of the food on the Eastern coast. Mm -hmm. As far as like your crops and things like that. Now you think about it like this, that water, that groundwater is going to be affected eventually. Yeah. It's going to test clean right now because it's going to take, 10 years for that chemical to go through the ground and get to the groundwater, but it's going to happen and we're going to see nothing, but you know, it's going to get worse. I did a blog. I, I, on my website, um, the other day and I'll, I'll email it to you, Wayne, if you want to check it out. Sure. Thank you. Um, it's a, um, blog about, there's two movies and I don't, I don't know how you feel about conspiracy theories or anything like this, but I found it very interesting. There was a movie in the seventies called the China syndrome. And to, uh, Wonderful uh, movie. Yeah. You've seen Wonderful it. Wonderful okay. movie. Yeah. Well, you've heard of Three Mile Wide Island, right? Mm hmm. Okay. That's a movie about the China Syndrome, basically. That's, you know, and then there was a movie that came out on Netflix last year. It's called White Noise. And that movie was about a train that derailed in Upper, up, upper Ohio, filling chemicals and displacing people. Now, you tell me that's not weird. <laughs> well, I heard that there was a movie produced and. Close to East Palestine, Ohio, about the same yep. scenario. Yep. It's called White Noise. It's on Netflix. It was produced. It was, it actually came out in November. I want to say November, December of, of 2022, but I'll send you the link to my blog. It breaks it down pretty good. That's interesting. Well,
1: okay. So what, what we were talking, really talking about here is, is that we have industry running rough shot over the American people whether it's chemical industry, pharmaceutical industry, or other types of industry. Um, and it's um, causing a lot of great harm. But going back to my cost estimate of 2 to $3 trillion, let me walk you through a little bit how that got there. You have all these people who have been injured. Whether they file claims in the CICP or not doesn't matter. Um, a lot of them are suffering, have severe injuries, or they will have severe injuries or chronic illness in the next few years. A lot of doctors are refusing to acknowledge. Sooner or later, though, more and more will start acknowledging, and private insurance has been balking at covering these types of treatments or therapies. So these people are paying out of pocket. They're wiping out the retirement bills. They're losing their homes. So now we got foreclosure problems. Um, Things like this. Then what happens is these people will have to seek workers' comp short term. Then they'll go to Social Security Disability and Medicaid, Medicare um Thoughts when in private the insurance more money taxpayers everything then private insurance might still pay for some of this the individual market is really the wild wild west of the private insurance individual right. market is basically buying insurance that's not employer sponsored plan so whether you buy it yourself or for a family those premium prices swing left and right, depending on the company that's selling the policy and how many claims against it. You get people now with COVID related injuries, COVID vaccine injuries. It might cost you one, two, three or $4 million over a lifetime. Those insurance plans will start swinging in premiums. Guess who takes care of the individual market in nine and 50, no, see, 47, 48 states out of 50 states, the state taxpayers of that state subsidize those insurance plans. So now you have state taxpayers paying tax dollars to subsidize the premium increases for that. You have taxpayers on a state and a federal level paying for Medicaid, Medicare, and Social Security benefits. And this thing's just gonna draw out, and the way you just do it, and that's how I kind of figured wait a minute, this is gonna bypass two trillion, it's gonna be you know two to three trillion dollars within the next decade.
0: You gotta think of I think you're right. I, I think you're spot on with that, but then there's also the cost of the what what it's cost us now, right? Well, you have loss of productivity about- in the marketplace.
1: Exactly. You have people are uh, unable to work right so you have uh, you have unemployment claims um you know uh, it's just it all adds up and it's just gonna get it's gonna get worse for the next decade or so and you can start watching as increases in chronic illness increases in cancers and everything Birth else will start everything is gonna just trigger and go up and it's going to be, you can draw a line back to the response to the Corona uh, vaccine um, and uh, whether or not they got multiple
0: boosters or whatever. So, mm-hmm. And the, the thing is, is, especially with you saying that they're putting this on the, uh, the, the mandatory list for children. Oh, yeah. And that's supposed to, you said, come out this fall. Possibly. I, don't, I don't know how I feel about that, man, because my kids are not vaccinated. I do not plan on getting them vaccinated. Um, I, I mean, I, I would consider taking them out of the public school because of that. Well, a lot of the states have to.
1: The, when the CDC recommends it for the schedule, that doesn't mean each state has to comply. Right, right. Some states, the Department of Health commissioner will have to adopt it through what they call administrative rulemaking authority and then to add it to their uh, schedule for their, uh, for that state. And then the governor signs off on it.
0: Yeah. But the thing is that these, these, the federal government, they use, you know, revenue means to uh, lean on them. So they'll, if they don't, if they don't adapt it, you know, because they don't, you know, they don't believe in or whatever, then the federal government is going to say, Hey, we're going to cut your funding. We're going to cut your education system funding. We're gonna cut your roadway funding. We're just gonna cut your funding completely. And that's how they get these states to adapt these things. Oh yeah. And and you know, I, one way I or the other they're I mean, gonna
1: they're gonna get it in the
0: jabs in I, the arms of these kids. Right. And I feel like I would probably most I mean, that's scary to me. And and I think that the scariest thing about this, and you and you you've been going through it for twenty twenty three years with your son. Mm-hmm. Right? 23, 24 years. Ninety nine is when it happened.
1: Well, yeah, he's 25 now. He'll be 26 in October,
0: right? Right, right. So you've been dealing with it for three decades almost. And and I can't imagine the pain that you're going through. That's my biggest fear is is my kids taking this vaccine and suffering adverse effects. And there's nothing I can do about it. There's nothing you can do about it because I don't know about you, but I can't afford to put my kids in, in private school. You know? So what, what about companies that are implementing um vaccine mandates what are the what are the legal considerations for them as well for small business so if they if they if they require these vaccines by these companies what what are their what are their legal consequences
1: well right now the injured person needs to check into workers comp in their own state to see if they can file a claim the chances is the Success are not that good, but it's still. A, a, you need to protect your legal rights to do but how, so. How
0: do they? How do they do that if they're being told It's not because of the vaccine.
1: Well, that's. It's not the. It, it won't be the employer that makes the decision. It's going to basically be if you have a. If you got a diagnosis of your medical outcome, mm-hmm. or your condition, and you can get a doctor to say yes, this is the direct result you might have a better chance, but there's a lot of ifs in that statement right there. Um, Now, the thing here is, is that we really don't have too many mandates now in the state, in the the country. We got a little bit in the military. We got some with some large business or large uh, hospital organizations, but by and large, small businesses have pulled back almost all of their mandates. Mm-hmm. For their employees, it's a small business. There is legal precedent, if you will, to go after your employer for negligence. If they can show that you were, uh, if you, were, you weren't offered anything other than you either get the jab or you're not working. Mm-hmm. They're supposed to, uh, under federal law, allow for accommodations. Can you do remote work? Can we isolate you at work somewhere? Can you do some other things? A lot of these small employers did not have the legal, you know, the legal uh, knowledge to understand they were required to do all these other things. They could stand uh, a legal challenge and be sued for negligence or coercion of some sort but not for the injury itself. You sue for the injury, you get you get stuck in federal court, and you're going to get your case thrown out because of the federal preemption of the PREP Act. Your goal is to stay in state court where negligence claims can be litigated. We're seeing this with nursing homes, especially now where they're getting... Um, uh, Sued over wrongful death because they didn't provide safety, enough safety regulations mm-hmm. to keep the residents safe from the virus. That's, this is a little bit different than getting the vaccine, but it's the same legal precedence, and that is negligence.
0: Um, so, willful misconduct and, and negligence.
1: Well, willful misconduct is on a federal level. If you're we don't talking want on the that. state level, I got you. State level is where you be successful. If people are, think that they were injured because their employer mandated that they get the jab to keep their job, I would contact a personal injury attorney in that state and see if they can pursue a negligence claim. That's a possibility. Um, it's not going to fit the bill for everyone, but it's possible. Right. Um. For those who got it voluntarily, you're only right now is the countermeasures injury compensation program on a federal level. Um, But this, this uh, where businesses went wrong and they're going to get stuck, and I think you're going to see case law develop over the next few years. uh, When they required the shot for you to work there, um, and they didn't provide proper accommodation options. You're, you could be facing some legal problems and I'd be worried if I was a small business owner and did that because sooner or later,
0: some, some employee or former employee is going to serve some papers on you. Right. Right. Well, Wayne, it's, it's, um, I know you got a hard stop here in about 10 minutes. Um, so I wanted to, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of wrapped up the question that I was going to ask you there. What, um, you wrote two books and you got a third book on the way um is that correct, correct? tell us yeah. how how can well, you know tell us how they can get a hold of your book, um and where they can maybe reach out to you i understand that you do your own podcast as well is that correct right okay uh, um, how can they I've get a hold of you two,
1: yeah the the two books are the vaccine court and the vaccine court 2.0 2.0 is a revised book original book was printed in two, uh, 2014 the revised was was put out um in 2021 And um, with updated data, and I I introduced flu shots and Gardasil and SIDS to the second version. I encourage people, if they want to get into these topics, uh, the Vaccine Court 2.0 is where you want to go. Uh, The website you can order the books from is thevaccinecourt.com, or you can order it through Amazon. Um, I think Barnes & Noble online still has copies. They absolutely refuse to carry the book in their stores, but that's just the way censorship works these days. Mm -hmm. Um, The thing about revenue. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Um, I do have a podcast now. I've I've kind of taken a little bit of time off because I'm doing a lot of writing to complete the book project, Mm -hmm. but right on point on the rumble channel, rumble.com slash C slash right on point. You can get there and subscribe. The podcasts are, f- are free to subscribe. Um, you'll see interviews with um, uh, Gert van der Bosch, Dr. Scott Jensen, Minnesota, who was a uh, uh, governor, uh, governor uh, candidate. Um, many different people um, are out there. Um, and then my writings out on Substack, which is the vaccine court uh, Substack.com. And you'll see they follow along. I don't charge for my writings out on the Substack, um, and then my uh, email address is out on the website. So on the bottom of the website, you can peel down and get the webs, you know, uh, get the email address. But that's what I'm doing. And my third book, which I'll try to get out by the end of the year, is about how we're going to litigate the COVID vaccine injuries, specifically. In the United States, but also I'm going to introduce the reader to what's happening in Canada, Mexico, Singapore, Japan, China, Germany, France, the greater uh, uh, United Kingdom, around the world, what they're doing regarding vaccine injury, mm-hmm. and how they handle. And it's quite interesting. This is that uh, some of these countries are more advanced than the United States regarding the COVID vaccine injuries uh, claims. Um, United States is dragging its feet, but um, which is you know was uh, not uh, unexpected. It just is that it's amazing that Singapore and and Taiwan they recognize injury right away and they're and they're they're compensating their uh, citizens. But the United States, no, we just don't want to do that.
0: They, you said they are compensating or well compensating oh, yeah. their citizens now. Oh yeah. Really, Taiwan,
1: okay. Taiwan, and Singapore, and you know, United Kingdom has compensated what six or seven. You know, Canada's got a few, not one in the United States yet. No one's been fully compensated in the United States for really? COVID uh, vaccine
0: injury. Wow, <clears throat> that's crazy. Well, man, that's- it's been uh, it's been a great time, man. Hopefully, I can get you back on sometime. I've really enjoyed talking to you this evening.
1: Well, thank you. I really appreciate it. Maybe we'll talk uh, later this fall when, if things start moving forward with the COVID vaccine, injuries we'll see. Yeah, definitely. Um, I know that uh, I got to go to DC here in the summer. We're going to be cranking up some um, uh, working with some legislation again, trying to reform our system. But we'll
0: see what happens from there. Cool, sounds good, man. I uh, definitely appreciate it. Hey, guys, anybody that's listening, next week I do have a um a microbiologist and virologist coming on to talk more in depth about the um you know different issues that we're facing out there and um what i'll do wayne is i'll list i'll link all of your links all down in the show notes i'm going to put it on my website i'll put it on my various social medias you can check this out on youtube i should be uh getting the episode edited and it'll come out tuesday morning so what i'll do is i'll send you a link to the episode Um, so you can, you know, share it or do with it what you will. Well, thank you very much, Bobby. I really, really appreciate it. No problem, man. I will, uh, I'll talk to you soon. You have a good evening. Okay. Take care. Thanks. Bye-bye.